0: Hey there, Canada. I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated.
1: Coming at you with the warm weather. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I got a "Get Better Soon" card to my girlfriend. She's not sick. I just think she could just be better. Wow, Kevin! <laughs> well, joining me to joining me is the Batwoman to my Robin costume, of shepherd's pie kind of thing. <laughs> Hey, Kirsten, how are you doing?
2: I am doing pretty good. It's been a busy last couple days at work, but we're at the weekend now. Just you and I today. This is going to be interesting. I know, it's been a while since it's just been the two of us. Have we done a show just you and I? I think so. Okay, well, this is going to be an
1: interesting experience nonetheless. Well, today we're going to be talking to your old friend, Anthony Magnabasco. We're going to be talking about street epistemology, especially in relation to politics, and that's going to be in the second half of the show. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. How you doing, dear? I'm doing pretty good. Good. I'm glad to hear
2: that. A little bit of a cold, but... A little bit of a cold?
1: Just as the warm days are coming out? Yep. Okay. So, it's just you and I today, so you'll be chatting a whole lot. <laughs> Apparently, I will be. Yes, you will. Did you hear that uh, Fortune.com uh, says the U.S. made the top ten? In what? Congratulations, right? The top 10 most dangerous places for women on Earth.
2: And you wonder why I don't want to go visit the States.
1: <laughs> well, you know, another the U.S. can join Syria, Somalia, Yemen. Oh, I'm sure pretty tired sad. of winning right now.
2: That's, that's pretty sad that they're in there with, you know, countries. When you think of countries that are dangerous for women, the United States should not be up there. No,
1: no, and it's also the only Western power that actually made that list.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, It's a survey done by Thompson Reuters Foundation. Um, Yeah, so they also tied third with Syria for sexual violence. Holy shit,
2: boss. Now that's just sad.
1: Yeah. So I guess uh, the other countries, if you are wondering, besides Syria, Somalia, and Yemen, and the U.S., you also have Pakistan, Congo, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, and India, and Afghanistan. All wonderful bastions of freedom.
2: Yeah, and I wonder how... Congratulations, U.S. Yeah, I wonder how they feel about being the only Western... You know, power
1: on there. You know what? Unless they're listening to the show, I bet you most Americans don't even know.
2: Yeah, you're probably right.
1: Yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, losers, uh, you ever heard of the hate preacher Zakir Naik?
2: Surprisingly, no. Uh,
1: You've probably seen him. He's got this little scraggy beard and glasses. He's a Muslim hate preacher. Um, He's very, very popular in Islam, in in the Muslim world. Um he's the kind of guy that basically said things like um of course heaven exists because when you have an erection your penis points directly <laughs> to heaven so that's how you know <laughs> Yeah because that's 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 completely scientific of course So scientific Yes well he was accused and uh, of uh, laundering uh, of uh, money laundering and uh, he's also accused of having uh, 28 million dollars in criminal assets And uh, this is a guy who's estimated to have 200 million viewers worldwide. Wow. He's a radical Islamist preacher, and uh, he's inspired Muslim violence in India for sure. And he's also been, I think, exiled from that country as well. So
2: he's a really fantastic guy, isn't he? Well, he
1: he fancies himself a doctor, and, you know, he gives these uh, big, big speeches, and he's, uh, I almost kind of compare him to the uh, Jordan Peterson of Islam in a way. Uh, Gross. Yeah, disgusting. So um, the uh, the Ontario the, uh, Auditor General right here uh, called um, the, uh, pri- the Premier Doug Ford uh, his carbon tax at- at- attack uh, factually inaccurate. So uh, Doug Ford is the Premier of Ontario. He's been going to court against the Canadian government because the Canadian government uh, decided to impose a carbon tax. And um, the uh, Auditor General basically said that uh, Doug Ford is essentially lying about this. Surprise, wow. surprise!
2: Surprise! I know it's so surprising. And he
1: also received a grilling from the judge over his challenge of the, the prime minister's tax as unconstitutional. In other words, you know, he just he just lied. He's just trying to pull the wool over your eyes, uh, and uh, he's just he's just doing this to get get political traction. Oh yeah, political traction
2: and publicity.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, in uh, other news, Italian unions there's a they're they're in italy they're they're refusing to load a ship that belongs to Saudi Arabia in protest over the Yemen war Hmm. yeah interesting the 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 uh the ship is called the Bari Yambu, I hope I get this right, and they had to leave France because there were there were protests over the Yemeni war there Saudi Arabia is attacking uh, Yemen and it's a, a pretty much a massacre that's happening over there. Uh, lots of misery. And uh, they were supposed to pick up some electric generators uh, on the ship. And the ship was already loaded with weapons. Oh. And the Italian unions uh, the uh, on the docks decided, no, we're not going to load you.
2: Well, good for them. Yeah,
1: so I'm not sure what's, what's going to happen here. I think the ship is going to have to leave and try to get those electric generators somewhere else at a, at a port that will load them. But it's interesting to see that Europe is starting to rise. It's not something that gets a lot of press coverage around here, the Yemeni yeah, war. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's kind of a shame because we should really take a good look into it. But it's Saudi Arabia, so we have a tendency we don't want to ruffle some feathers with them. Yeah. Which really sucks because we really should because they're it's a garbage country.
2: Sometimes you... M- There's sometimes seems to be a need to ruffle a few feathers. Yeah,
1: it's a garbage country, but it's because it's a rich garbage country. It yeah. gives us oil, so that's why we're kissing ass, and we really should
2: No, ruffle a couple of feathers. Don't go nuts. Yeah.
1: But. Well, suppose, remember that story we had uh, a few months back there where Canada kind of <laughs> decided to wag <laughs> a finger at Saudi Arabia They decided to pull everybody <laughs> from Canada, pull the yeah. embassy, pull everything? It's like, yeah. You're... Like the child that it is. Exactly, exactly. It's like the... the Trump tantrum all of a sudden from Saudi Arabia. Um, Here's an interesting thing. Uh, There's an Ontario firefighter who was called in and hired to fight the Wild forest fires here in BC. Uh, He's suing in the Human Rights Court uh, because he wasn't given a uh, a vegan alternative for food. Oh, my God. Well, this is the funny thing. During his BC stay, his name is Adam Knauf. I hope I I said this right. Uh, He says that being vegan is more than just a, a a lifestyle. It's a creed. And he's suing the Ministry of Forestry. Is he correct by doing so? And you know what? I At first I thought, well, you know, it seems overblown at first. It does seem
2: a little bit over, like, really? But
1: would we bat an eye if this guy was um, Jewish and he wanted something kosher?
2: You're right, we probably wouldn't. Exactly, right? Because Apollo is like, the religion and everything like
1: that so this is going to go to court um and you know at first like i said at first you think oh come on we say that because we're not vegans and it's an easy thing to say yeah but absolutely. if you're an actual vegan and you actually believe in what you're doing there that you're helping the planet by not eating any animals yes yeah. um can you say that it's not a creed i'm not so sure I don't know. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. And it
2: was, they didn't provide anything that was vegan for him?
1: And that's another question, right? They hired him, knowing full well that he was a vegan, They decided not to provide the vegan food for him. So why did you hire him? Yeah. Very true. And it raises another question on top of that. If you were to say, okay, well, fine, just don't hire any vegans, are you discriminating against vegans?
2: Exactly, and I would, on that note, I would say... Probably, like, I could see, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you're, it's a whole can of worms all of a sudden you're opening over <laughs> vegan food.
2: And it's not like if you have vegan options, other people can't eat them. Exactly. Exactly. You can absolutely, like, you have vegetarian options. You can have vegan options mixed in there so that everybody can eat
1: yeah i i mean i'd I'd be curious to see i mean you obviously this is almost like going to camp right because these firefighters are kind of parachuted somewhere it's not like there's a five-star restaurant in the middle of nowhere right so they have to import the food and they have to kind of cook it in camp and stuff like that uh so i don't know if there's an extra cost incurred for having a vegan option i i don't know enough about veganism to say that on uh clearly I, I we'd have to ask a vegan if it's actually more costly to eat we should yeah we well we should almost have a vegan it'd be interesting to have a vegan show for some reason uh and uh, it'd be yeah it would be very interesting to see what would happen uh is if the company did that to save money mm-hmm. i could understand that but at the same time it's like if you're gonna hire a guy to fight fires because you need his skills then you sort of need to provide for him. You need to provide the tools he well, needs, yeah. and not just the tools. So, you know, you need to keep him healthy and happy. If that if that just means adding a bit to the menu, that's not so bad. Option, it shouldn't be that bad. Yeah. because
2: you can always substitute something else. Because there are plenty of options that are going to obviously the options that were there were not vegan. Yeah, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be too much of a cost difference to substitute a couple of item, like a couple things out, so that. You know, yeah. everybody can have an equal chance of having a decent meal.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you were going to make a macaroni and cheese, but you make a macaroni and soy cheese instead, is that really that much more difficult to do? That's a good question.
2: Probably not. No, probably not. So, it's just in what, at what products you use.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that, that's going to be an interesting thing to have a look at uh, mm-hmm. in the future. So we'll see where that goes. Anyway, so since Nancy's not here, I guess it's up to me to do the top ten for her. Alright, so um, she, she was so kind to leave that for us. Oh, Nancy. Oh, Nancy. Uh, so I have here the uh, top 10 best free language learning apps for the Android phone. Ooh. So, um,. Learning a language, first of all, they say that it's good for you. It's good for your brain and all that. So you really should encourage that. And and let's face it. I mean, most of us here in North America can barely speak one language correctly. Yeah. As compared to most Europeans can speak on average two or three. (laughs) So.
2: English is a difficult language, to be fair.
1: Actually, it's not. I'm French. French is much more complex of a language than English. I think I find English so basic... This is why I think it's good for
2: business because it's kind of basic. I think, isn't it? They say it's a, it's harder to learn as a second language. Well, I, that's a good question. I don't know because that's what I've what I've kind of always heard is that it's harder to learn as a second language because hmm. you have to think of all the little tiny intricacies, like the weird little. That's the tough part with English.
1: The, the the little part, you know how you have so many words they're spelt the same way but don't all mean sound the, same. the same. Yeah, yeah. though, yeah. thought, thought, you know, it's a total
2: there, there, and there
1: exactly right. So I can understand that, but anyway. Uh, learn a language guys it's good it's good for you good for your brain so anyway top 10 uh, this is no particular order Um, there's gonna be a 10 to 1 so let's go with uh, number 1 Babbel this is one of the best language learning apps Uh, you can learn languages like English Spanish French Italian German Brazilian Portuguese Swedish Turkish Polish Dutch Norwegian Danish Indonesian and uh, it features 14 languages available wow uh, it goes in 10 to 15 minutes bite-sized lessons that fit into your schedule.
2: That's decent. That's and good. they
1: also have speech recognition technology that aids pronunciation. Ooh. It's ideal for both beginners and advanced learners. And, uh, and it re- there's a review manager that keeps your vocabulary in your long-term memory. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, number two, learn 50 languages free. That's what the app is called. The app is available in four, over 40 languages with 1,600 languages combination. The app includes over 100 lessons to learn different languages with audio and text support to enhance your learning experience. It does feature 150 languages, and it's available in over 50 languages and approximately 2,500 languages combination. You can learn to speak short sentences in real-world situation in no time fluently with that. Huh. Number 3. Duolingo. Uh, this uh, apparently this is one of uh, Nancy's favorite uh, apps. Uh, personally, she uses the app to uh, learn various new languages like Spanish, French, German, and much more. Interesting. Uh, of course, in her Assassin's Creed and the oh, yeah, job, she'll, she'll she needs need to, that. She needs to blend to in exam- exactly. Uh, the features you can learn free languages like English, Spanish, French, German, and and much much more. Uh, it's easy to use and. Uh, and uh, learn speaking and uh, reading and listening and writing various languages. Uh, there's also basic grammars, phrases, and sentences, mm-hmm. and you can learn new words daily.
2: I like how that one includes the writing. Yes. So i speaking and writing are two very different things. I totally agree.
1: Number four, uh, there's an app called Open Language. Uh, this app helps you understand multiple languages like German, French, Chinese, English, Hindi, etc. by presenting dialogues. With the aid, uh, with uh, the aid, uh, your videos and audios. This app is uh, also features personal vocabulary and powerful sentences breakdown features to develop your learning skills. Hmm. In this app, the teacher uh, presenters deliver a lesson just like you would get in a classroom, using the same natural and engaging style as Talk Radio. That you one. can dig deeper into the experience with interactive reviews activities, including uh, their powerful sentence breakdown feature. And you can practice what you learn with experienced tasks uh, uh, for review by your teacher or the community. So
2: That's nice. It seems like it's designed to keep you engaged in it, like it said, the talk radio there, to keep you engaged in it.
1: Exactly. Well, that's the only way you learn language. I've well, always yeah. said, you know, uh, the best way I learn English, for example, which I still can't master, apparently, to this day, was to live amongst them right yeah immersion is really either way it's like swim or drown right you
2: kind of have to figure it out at some point yeah exactly Um, number five phrasebook
1: this is the best language learning app in this app you can uh, learn multiple foreign languages from a multilingual parrot for free a multilingual parrot apparently the parrot works together with you to practice your speaking and listening skills whenever and wherever you are you can download this app and play uh, from the Play Store for free. It features a record and compare your pronunciation. It uh, searches for a phrase and a vocabulary by keyword, and uh, no internet
2: connection is actually required for that one, too. That is convenient. That is convenient. That could be convenient for travel.
1: Yeah, because you can't always, if you want to take a, a lesson in language, you can't always look for your Wi-Fi. You know, you're on the bus, something like that. You feel yeah. like you want to do something while waiting. That's a perfect. Hmm.
2: Um,
1: number six, Memorize. By using the app, you can easily understand the difference between the languages and vocabulary and also with free video feature. Memrise is the only app which would give you a free language res- resource. Um, over 4.5 ratings by on Google Play. Um, forces to put this app on the top uh, free languages learning app. So it's, it's got really good reviews. That's good. It features more than 20 languages. It's easy to use. No internet connection is required as
2: well. Those are very important things. No internet connection required and easy to use. Exactly. Because I tell you, if something is not user-friendly, I drop it so fast. Perfect. Like, it's, if it's not user-friendly, how are you going to use it properly? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, some, especially when you got a dumbass like myself, right? You're going to get mad at it.
1: <laughs> Number seven. I think this is pronounced BUSU. It's spelled B-U-S-U-U.
2: That sounds correct. BUSU.
1: BUSU. So this one is an amazing app for learning multiple languages on a smartphone. Um, I think your language learning might not be more attractive and easy to use uh, than with Busuu. You can learn Chinese, uh, Spanish, English, German, French, Italian, and uh, 20 other languages with the help of over 60 million international native speakers that learn, practice, and teach with Busuu. This apparently was uh, the Editor's Choice uh, app rated on Google Play. So... Apparently, it's really well-rated. It features some speaking lessons with basic exercise and pronunciation example. As well, um, international education. Uh, choose from an extensive worldwide list of languages. Learn the most important 150 topics and 3,000 words with specific language training. Offline mode will let you learn even when you don't have an internet connection. Nice. Learn on your commute, on your holiday, study anywhere, anytime. So that's
2: perfect. Cool.
1: Number eight, the Rosetta Stone. I've heard of that one.
2: Uh, I I think a
1: lot of people have heard of that one. It's a common word, anyway. Uh, This amazing app, um, where you get lots of best languages to learn, different languages that you can learn from this app are Chinese, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Brazilian, Portuguese, Russian, Mexican, and Spanish. Um... You can uh, pick up where you left off. Remember the right picture? Yeah. You can pick up where you left off, and you can learn at any time, and no internet is required either.
2: I know with the uh, Rosetta Stone, I'm pretty sure they used to be, because I remember seeing, and I'm pretty sure this was it, on TV. They used to advertise it, Mm. and it was something you actually had to order. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they came so that you would do it on, like, a DVD or whatever, or, like, a disc for your computer or whatever. So it's nice to see they've upgraded to an app.
1: Yeah. Okay, number nine. Tourist language learn and speak. Uh, this is the best app to learn multiple languages uh, on Android. Is, is uh, Babel. In this app, you can learn languages like Spanish, English, French, Italian, German, Brazilian, Portuguese, Swedish, Turkish, Polish, Dutch, Norwegian, Danish, and Indonesian. This is interesting because uh, Norwegian I think is the first, and Swedish are not ones you actually see seem to see in the other languages.
2: Yeah, you don't see them as often.
1: Yeah. So you have about uh, 10 to 15 minutes bite-sized lessons that fit into your schedule. Um, Lessons covering a broad range of topics, including travel, culture, and business. Speech recognition technology aids your pronunciation, and it's ideal for both beginners and advanced learners. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, number 10, learn all Indian languages. Hmm. So, this obviously seems to focus mostly on Indian languages. <laughs> if you want to learn all Indian local and national languages, then this app must be for you. You can use Kelu and speak Hindi, Kannada, Marathi, Telugu, Tamil, Bengali, and you can do that all easily. So, it focuses especially on the content of India and all the dialects, I guess. Nice. Frequently use sentences in Kamada... Canada, sorry, Hindi, Tamil, Telugu, Bengali, Ma- Marathi are used. Uh, are grouped together under conversation themes like greetings, shopping, etc. Uh, features include a location-based con- con- content to support you with the right things to say on your current location.
2: Oh, that's convenient. Yes, that is. Because it would con- definitely so change. If, you, if you're
1: traveling to India and you want to do a lot of talking there, and say, okay, you're in this region this is what you should be saying.
2: <laughs> that's definitely a good idea because I know some languages, like, even if they're just a little bit different, you could say one word and it could mean one thing and you could say the same word and it can mean something a little different that's not quite so nice.
1: Exactly. Uh, it has the ability to favorite uh, the frequently used sentences. You can search, uh, it has search cap- uh, cap- uh, capacities to directly find what you're looking for and you can ask experts in Kello community for specific translations. So, pretty cool
2: i like that you can ask for specific translations in that
1: yeah well you know language is such a uh, a finicky thing right like you yes. said you, you said just a, a couple minutes ago you can say one thing and all of a sudden you know it means something completely different because of a different dialect right
2: or even just like a different inflection on what a yeah. syllable
1: yeah exactly um and in case you were interested uh she also did a, a quick a quick list for the best iphones and ipad um, yeah, who needs those for the new languages uh, they include um, Duolingo Memrise Babble uh, Living Language Course Pack Learn Chinese by Brainscape and Tandem hmm. so if you have uh, a, if you have Apple this is where you want to go perfect that was fun that was fun thank you Nancy yes <laughs> all right so I guess we move on now I guess it's time to do another brilliant moment. I guess so. Brought to you by religion.
2: So, you would think that the one thing that wouldn't bother a boat would be rain. You would think. You would think, wouldn't you? And You know, and I I think I know where you're going with this. But apparently not for the Ark Encounter. No. Because it's suing its insurance providers for not covering... Rain damage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Ark is suing for because of rain damage. Yes. Let that sink in. The one boat you can't even say because you couldn't say most boats are like for water, not necessarily rain. And this one but doesn't even go in the water. The one boat that apparently withstood 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and depending on the Bible translation, and even some people some people say even over a year. The replica of that boat is suing for rain damage. Oh, that is absolutely brilliant.
2: I claim they used the wrong wood. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) You gotta take it out of context, right? (laughs) According to the 13-page lawsuit, Ark Encounter, which opened in 2016, suffered the effects of a heavy rain that began in May of 2017 and continued for several months.
1: Would that not be an act of God?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a good point the rain, the rain created a landslide Which damaged a major access road To the Ark Rendering it unsafe and unfit for use For all of those travelers using it It cost about <laughs> 1, million, so One million For Ark Encounter and its parent company Crosswater Canyon To fix the road Naturally they want their insurers to pay for it Naturally, naturally, but the insurers said no. According to them, their contract with Ark Encounter excluded payments for correcting design deficiencies or faulty workmanship. Ark Encounter said that clause doesn't apply because land improvements, which is now which is how they classified the road fixes, were an exception to that rule.
1: <laughs> so okay, so let's give credit where credit is due. When you read the headline, you're thinking, you know, the building itself, the structure, <laughs> yes. the arc is the thing that's damaged by it. But no, but it, it's wasn't. That. it was not. It was the access to the arc. It was
2: the road. Yeah, it was but the road. But it's Still really so
1: funny. It is still uh, hilarious. So let's give them, you know, let's give them the benefit of a doubt for that. It's yes. Very little benefit of
2: it. <laughs> Just a little bit. The insurers did pay for some of the damage that they felt that they covered, but that's it. They they don't want to pay more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well the funny thing is is Uh don't you get the impression that ever since the Ark Encounter opened, uh I hear now that the tickets used to be like forty dollars for adults to, to visit the Ark Encounter. I believe now it's climbed up to like seventy five.
2: Oh my god.
1: Right? So all those sales, right? Yeah yeah, exactly. These people are getting more and more desperate to make a buck off this. How many tons paperweight this thing is? It's a super paperweight. It's a super paperweight. And now they're going to try to pull every <laughs> trick in the book to try to recuperate a bit of money. Because the road got damaged. It's, it's, it's a monument. This arc is a monument to human stupidity. Yes. It it's in every incarnation you want to look at it. It's just absolutely mind-boggling that people can't even go there. I mean, they're trying to force schools to go there, they're trying to, they're blaming atheists for, for the lack of business. Who the hell wants to go walk into a big boat replica, that's not even a full boat because it's actually a building, <laughs> and just walk acro- uh, 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 across this big, big structure just to hear a couple of animal sounds here and there and have some... Fake animatronics and 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 how God's great and so much and us like who the hell wants to pay seventy five bucks a person for that right? It's it's just oh (laughs)
2: like I'm paying seventy five bucks to go to Fan Expo. I'm not paying seventy five bucks to go see a fake ass boat. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: (laughs) And some fake ass animals. (laughs) Shut it down,
1: Ken. Yeah, I know you. I know you. You're probably not listening to the show, but by all, the, all chances that you might, just shut her down, okay? Just shut her down and say, "Well, you know what? It just wasn't meant to be." Blame the atheist if you want. Blame us. That's fine. Yeah, we'll just, take the blame. Maybe. Just shut her down and just save yourself from the embarrassment. This is just getting worse and worse and worse. Be
2: an act of God in the form of a lightning strike. <laughs>
1: That would be too awesome. That would just be too awesome if that happened. I don't know how flat Kentucky is. I think it's pretty flat. But if that that was to happen, that'd be just too awesome.
2: That would be. All right. So, a cathedral Catholic high school in San Diego has a new dress code rule for next year.
1: Oh, boy. I'm going to need to get...
2: Would you like to take a wild guess at what it may be?
1: A dress code for next year. Okay, so...
2: Catholic uh, school. Catholic school. Catholic school. So high school.
1: So girls are wearing skirts, but probably longer skirts. Um, boys are wearing ties for sure. And uh, and long dress pants. And a shirt, obviously. Uh, girls will be wearing some kind of blouse and maybe some kind of... Not necessarily a tie, but some kind of frou-frou.
2: Neckerchief thingy. Something
1: like that, yeah. That, that's
2: my guess. That would be what you would think, right? Yeah. Catholic school and girls wearing skirts. I However, like a Catholic school, believe it or not. Girls are banned from wearing skirts because they're distracting too many men. Oh, really? They are now going to be banned from wearing skirts. Wow. After issuing thousands of hours of detention to students modifying the length of uniform skirts, Principal Kevin Culkins sent news of the ban to students in an email on Friday local media reported. In the email, he wrote that the dress code exists to foster a faith-based environment where students are focused on learning and not outward appearances. Male faculty feel uncomfortable addressing female students about the length of their skirts, and even female faculty have expressed frustration with the ongoing challenge of dress code. So girls are going to be wearing pants too? Yep. You know, in a way,
1: it's... It's not, but it's oddly progressive. <laughs> I know it's kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you say, like, okay, so so now you're allowing girls to wear pants. So that's not a bad deal. You know? I'm sure, the girls are happy with that too,
2: right? And it's not just to ban short skirts; it's skirts altogether. Mm. They'll either be allowed to wear long pants or Bermuda shorts. Oh, okay, okay. Several girls at the school protested the decision yesterday morning with signs saying things like, I'm sorry, did my knees distract you from reading this poster? <laughs> Even Jesus wore a skirt. And stop sexism, start education.
1: <laughs> hey, what if, what if the, um, what do they call it? The one that's half short, half skirt. Skorts? A skirt? Yeah. Can they wear that? I think that would be the most passive, aggressive, and beautiful thing that they could do. Yeah, Totally. What if, what if the guys start wearing kilts? That's what I want to see. Ooh, because it's not a skirt. It's not a skirt. It's a kilt. If any any of them are like Scottish in any way, shape, or form, I would totally do that. Like, do it. I'm there. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, believe it or not, I actually went to Catholic school. Did you? And I, I had to wear the tie and the shirt. And, and of course, I was the, you know, everybody It was so funny because most of them were like dressed up and, you know, shaved and everything. And I would walk in there, the tie half undone and the shirt out of my pants and not shaved anything.
2: So you were kind of the bad boy. Oh, totally.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and and we, we, I used to have debates with some, some teachers because I hated the whole uniform thing. I of hated you did. it with a passion. But they had some interesting arguments on the other side. Uh, one of them was essentially that um, the the argument from I guess you call it the argument from poverty. Somebody who is not rich, they can't afford to have the latest fashion and stuff like that. You know, everybody wears the same uniform. You can't really tell. Everyone's kind of equal. Yeah, sort of, right? But but uh, that doesn't take into consideration that the kids have a tendency to personalize their uniform anyway. Yes. You know, it's not like everybody wears the same shoes, so you can wear your your school. Dress code, but still have the latest
2: Nikes on, right? Yeah, or something like that. Though, so, wouldn't some okay. still have the sh- have a specific shoe? I don't recall. That's too far
1: back. There was also another <laughs> another argument that one of my teachers says: says you know if if you if you go to uh, a football game or a hockey game, they all wear the same uniform. Yeah. Why can't we? You know, we're we're showing who we are as a team by wearing that uniform, and it's yeah, it's it's not too bad of an argument actually. No, but I mean, it's still I still think it's bullshit. But
2: <laughs> it's still when you have to wear the same thing every single day, and you well, you to...
1: don't have to worry about what you're going to wear in the morning. True, <laughs> it's just there waiting for you.
2: But if heaven forbid, if you forget to clean something or something mm. happens,
1: yeah, it, it is kind of mundane, and it, it is kind of it's like uh. <laughs> Same, especially the, those those colors were like gray. Most of it, like white shirt, Blah. red tie, and gray pants. Like, Blah. Oh, oh, <laughs> it was awful. Boring. Well, it was like a charcoal gray. Anyway,
2: anyway, I okay. digress. I digress. <laughs> and anything else you got for us? Uh, well, more on this one. Okay. The girls actually pointed out an obvious double standard. The school has a rule prohibiting facial hair on boys. Oh but- really? They're not very strict about enforcing that. However, if a girl wears a comfortable skirt, all hell breaks loose. What if she doesn't shave her legs? Interesting point. That's kind of
1: like the facial hair thing. A
2: little bit. But yeah, Yeah. it's pretty sad that just because male teachers are uncomfortable yeah. and they can't,
1: yeah, it's 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 it really is that. It's,
2: it's really like about you're controlling gonna attack the girls. Like we've been here before about the whole dress code thing yes. and how it seems to always target girls and never target boys. Yeah,
1: well, it's always been that, right? It's it's, it's just like this whole uh, what well, we talked about last week the whole abortion thing and what they're doing in the states and they're going they're going complete bonkers now. Tennessee apparently has done the whole abortion thing too now. Uh, it's all about controlling women's sexuality. Yeah, it's all about that because they realize that uh, forgive my French here, but they realize that pussy power is uh, <laughs> has more power than our fucking Bible.
2: I need as a, to, as a to convince, sticker with that. has
1: to convince men. It really is that. <laughs> you know, you want, you want the men in your pocket. You want to control the men. But you, how you do that? You control the women. It's, it's, it's really just that, right? Oh, yeah. It's not about saving your soul. It's not about virtue. It's not about morals. It's about if you control the girls, you'll control the boys. That's really it. So, anyway.
2: Right, it I would like to see all the boys at that school show up wearing the skirts. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of cool, actually. Because I wonder if it specifically bans the girls from wearing
1: the skirts. Well, you have to look at the language in the, uh, uh, can you call it a bylaw? You have to actually look at the rules and say, does it say, you know, girls? If it says girls, and it says nothing about boys, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sure,
2: sure there's
1: a couple of guys out there to be adventurous enough, so yeah, I'll wear the skirt.
2: <laughs> I'm pretty happens. sure in some, not in necessarily a Catholic school, but there have, I've seen pictures where they've done that, uh-huh. where they've. A whole bunch of guys have come together wearing like skirts and that because yeah. girls have been called out on it. Yeah, of course. And it's fantastic. Solidarity, man. Because what do you do? Like, as a teacher and as like the faculty, what are you going to do in that situation? Send everybody home? Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Just grow up, people, okay? Yes. So what? The girl's wearing a skirt. So what? The skirt is is a bit short. It's so short that she has to wear a hairnet. So what?
2: Kevin! <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs>
1: All right. On that horrible note, (laughs) let's take take a pause. And when we come back, we'll have Anthony McNabasca
0: with us. (laughs) So stay with us. What's up, heathens? I'm the Godless Engineer, and it would be great if you could join me on my YouTube channel. Over there, we post videos every day. On Mondays, we normally post a response video of some kind. Tuesdays, we post our daily Bible podcasts that I record with KC. Wednesdays, we read comments. Thursdays and Fridays is conspiracy theory and flat earth stuff. And we have a new segment that runs Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays that is Today I Learned from KC. Hi, y'all! So please, join us over on the YouTube channel, Godless Engineer, where we always stand up and use our voice. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else.
2: People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right?
0: Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? <laughs>
2: Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zune Is that still a thing?
1: Bible, the Old Testament, which in Genesis is an account of nature. That's That's what that is. And I said to you, give me your description of the natural world based
3: only on this. You would say the world was created in six days and that stars are just little points of light, much lesser than the sun. And in fact, they can fall out of the sky, right? Because that's what happens during Revelation. To
1: even write that means you don't know what those things are. You have no concept of what the actual universe is. So everybody who tried to make proclamations about the physical universe, based on Bible passages,
0: got the wrong answer.
3: Well,
1: our next guest is probably by excellence THE street epistemologist. He's a return guest. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Anthony Magnabasco, welcome hey, back hey, to hey, the Valley. Hey,
3: what's going on? Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a
1: pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Put that away before you cut yourself. It's,
0: it's a foam <laughs>
2: sword. How am I going to cut myself?
1: Anthony, it's always a pleasure to have you back. Uh, but uh, for people that might have missed the last time you were with us, maybe you'd be so kind to give us a bio of who uh, Anthony
3: Magnabasco is. Oh, I'd be glad to. Well. See uh, I guess it kind of all started with me coming to grips with my atheism and having horrible conversations with people mm-hmm. and I started pushing the, the loved ones in my life away by arguing with them and giving them evidence and even ridiculing their views. Then I discovered Peter Bogosian's book called a manual for creating atheists mm-hmm. decided to go out and put his advice into practice and his advice is basically hey listen rather than arguing with people rather than presenting them with facts that might cause a backfire result. Ask them questions and have them explain why they think what they think is true and what method did they use to get to that conclusion. And if you go about it Socratically, you can very likely put a pebble in a person's shoe where they start to think about their belief and they may even change their view. They might even stop believing what they believe, even the big God claim. So I've gone out and started recording my conversations, putting them on YouTube I've been slowly growing a following on on that medium, and elsewhere, uh, other people have also started doing this. It's not just me going up the camera, and it's certainly not the only way that you can do street epistemology. But thousands and thousands of people are engaging in a different way on sensitive topics, and they're having more effective conversations. And that's what street epistemology is. And I've been doing this for going on six years now, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, We have a lot of people who are interested in this method, practicing it, um, evolving it even. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about, if we have a chance, we're forming a 501c3 nonprofit organization for street epistemology. So we support people who want to teach others this method. So, I'm really excited to be here to talk about my favorite subjects.
1: And you know, actually, you know what? Whoa, 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 we have it. Might as well go and elaborate exactly on that. Might as well get that out of the way so we don't forget about it. The 501c3, go for it.
3: Yeah. Well, we have lots of people who love what we're doing with street epistemology, but might never go out and report a conversation or even have one because it's just not in their nature. But they want to support us, they want to give us money to pay for t-shirts when we go to a conference to talk about street epistemology or cover the airfare to bring a speaker to canada maybe or something along those lines. <laughs> hit, hit.
2: <laughs> nudge, nudge.
3: so how do we do that well you need to have a little bit of structure how, how do we and to even go further how do we test street epistemology to see if it's doing what we think that it's doing we need to have an organization we need structure we need some formality and that's what this is um, it's it's not to the point where we're locking things down to say this is the one only way that you can do this method but we've reached a point, a critical mass I suppose where we need a little bit of structure, we need a little bit of organization to help blow this method out to the wider community and get it far beyond just atheism
1: Hmm. and that, that 501c3 if they want to donate to that where can they find that?
3: If you go to the streetepistemology.com website, probably by the time that this episode airs, there should be a link to the Street Epistemology International Organization. And I would imagine if you go to streetepistemology.com, you probably see the, in, in a, a link to donate uh, probably via PayPal or other means where you can donate money and be tax deductible. And you can support us. You can actually help us uh, get this method out in front of the people who need to hear it.
0: Okay. Street, and this
3: has implications far beyond religion, too. I hope you know. I, I, there's no reason why you couldn't use this approach in a political discussion or something like this.
1: That. And that's exactly what we're going to deal into. But for people that might not be aware of what street epistemology is, can you give us maybe some bullet points? I mean, you, you, you went very briefly into it, asking questions, Socratic questions. But what can you be a bit more specific maybe about the method you use when you approach a conversation
3: Absolutely, I'd be glad to Yeah, so street epistemology is a complicated word That essentially means having respectful dialogues Where you use questions to explore What a person thinks is true Why they think it's true And how they determine that those are good reasons For thinking that it's true Mm. So epistemology is the study of knowledge With street epistemology, we're interested in methodology What method are you using to conclude That something is true And is it reliable? So when you focus on the methodology and not the belief that a person might have fallen in love with, they'll become defensive if if you challenge the belief. Mm -hmm. But if you you talk about the methodology that a person's using to conclude that something is true, generally speaking, people tend to be open to examining that. And in that process, that's where you can help a person discover, you know what, maybe I didn't use a very reliable method here for figuring out that this is true. So... This is largely about setting aside your ego, setting aside agendas, and actually having the person explain why they think something is true. Why did you accept this claim? And in the process of them explaining it, that's when usually the person discovers that they use a method, or they have a poor reason, or, you know what, maybe I need to go talk to somebody and figure this out. Maybe, maybe I've, I've overestimated my confidence that in my conclusion and that's the beauty of
0: the Mm-hmm. hmm mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so today we're going to be talking about using street epistemology. But last time we, we, we dealt in street epistemology with atheism and, and facing theists. But today we're going to be talking about something that is almost a sister to, to that, that kind of conversation. It's politics. Because let's face it, we see the same kind of patterns in politics and the same kind of cult mentality, if I could say, yeah. that you would see in uh, in, in theists, that you see in politics. And especially in the United States right now, the land, the political landscape is extremely divided, extremely polarized, and extremely cult-like, almost, to a certain extent.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, there, there's a lot of similarities, but I also think there's a lot of differences, too, because for the last two or, two years or so, I guess, I've been intentionally going out and asking people to pick different topics other than religion. I'm still willing to talk to them about why they think God is real. And yet... I'm interested in other topics because I want to see if we can overlay this template of street epistemology Mm -hmm. of using questions to explore claims to other claims besides religion. And there are some differences. Um, I found that using street epistemology with with political claims tends to be a little bit more difficult than a supernatural or spiritual claim. Hmm. And I have a couple of hypotheses why that might be the case. Uh, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, of course. It's kind of funny. You you would think that challenging a person's view that God is real would be the most challenging thing ever because it's such an important belief. But the reasons and the methodology that a person's using to conclude that that's true are usually pretty easy to plow through and discover by by, by using questions. Maybe this isn't the best reason. Maybe this isn't a reliable method. When it comes to political claims, it's tougher. It, it, it's tougher because it seems like there's lots and lots of reasons why somebody is a, a, a political stripe. And knocking three or four of those reasons out of the way doesn't necessarily result in the person saying, oh, wait, you know what, I really can't affiliate with that party anymore. Mm-hmm. There's maybe just so many legs to that stool that it makes it look difficult I'm not exactly sure why that's the case frankly i think i need more practice interviewing folks maybe even at political rallies regardless of what party they're part of
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and engaging with them using this method and saying like what what really is different here about this political claim as opposed to a religious one i'm not sure
1: well it seems to me off the top of my head it seems to me when, when you're dealing with a political claim it's something much more concrete so i think they will dig in much more when, you, when you're dealing with something uh as uh, like God, who's basically you know, uh, it's not really a tangible thing. Then you can always use escape phrases like God works in mysterious ways, or you know, the supernatural, blah blah blah. Which is I take it on faith. Yeah, or you know, it's yeah. it's it's a, it's an answer that's not non-answer that you cannot really explore any further. Yeah. But if you if you if you're dealing with a, a, a particular political uh, message or a person. Then you you actually have the concrete facts
2: there, yeah, you definitely do,
3: yeah, so maybe that's a, the, there's there goes a difference, possibly it's I co- also think that there might be the, this this view that you know that you have this this concept of tribalism and mm-hmm. and listen, if I want to identify as party x, then there are certain things that I need to agree to, and the cost of admitting you know what I don't really think global warming is caused by humans. That could be very detrimental to my acceptance as a part of a tribe. Yes. So that could be a, a very high hurdle to get over. But even if even if I was able to be convinced that, that global warming was a hoax, I could probably still hide out within my tribe and maybe just not be so adamant about my position or you know, kind of um, blend in, so to speak. Whereas if you come to the realization that I don't have a good reason for thinking that Allah is real, well – it's kind of it's kind of an all or nothing type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, whereas with politics, there are so many other platforms that you mm-hmm. can still ride on in yep. order to maintain your position in the tribe.
1: That's a very good point. I've been comparing it lately. I've been using the analogy of um, rooting for a sports team. You know, you, 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 let's say you have a hockey match. Let's use hockey because we're Canadians. Let's face it, <laughs> <laughs> and and also. Uh, uh, the referee will call a penalty to your team. Well, you know, all hell breaks loose. You know, oh, that guy's a cheater. He's paid off, blah, 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 blah. But that same referee calls a penalty for the other team and nobody bats an eye, right? Of it's, course. It's, it's almost like as long as your team wins, it doesn't matter how the, the ends justify the means at that point. And it seems that this is how the face of politics has become now that it's so, so polarized.
3: I think one maybe one of the similarities between you know, the street epistemology approach or philosophy, I suppose, between religion and politics is this idea of helping people move off of their certainty on things, being a little bit more humble about what we think that we know, moving moving away from dogmatism. So a person could be dogmatically atheist, dogmatically theist, dogmatically right, dogmatically left. Mm -hmm. The goal of street epistemology, I think is to help people reflect on their views, be humble enough to acknowledge that, you know what, maybe I need to be a little bit more open to the other side. Maybe I need to be a little bit less certain about my certainty. And that, I think, might be one of the major similarities that cuts across both of those those areas.
1: Mm-hmm. And let's face it, it's a tough sell, too. So selling So You're selling to people that maybe you're wrong. That is a tough sell. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, I think one of the greatest feelings we have as a species is to be correct, and nobody now,
2: likes feeling like they've been told that they're wrong. Exactly. So I think people, as soon as they, you know,
1: adversively, of course, is one of the worst feelings is to be to find out you're wrong about yeah. something. And I think people are too stubborn that they don't want to they don't want to experience that feeling. They will they will
3: dig in. Yeah, it is an uncomfortable feeling, of course, if you discover that you're mistaken on something. However, if you put a little bit of extra thought into that discovering that you're mistaken on something means you could be more correct about something else and that's a big, that's a, that's, I don't know if I'm going to call it like a point of maturity or something, but once you can come to that realization, that's huge for a person.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, now, Kristen said something really interesting. Like, I think he said something like telling a person that they're wrong. Yeah. If. Yes, you can tell a person that they're wrong. Here are the facts that show that global warming is real and it is being caused by humans. That can really cause a person to become defensive and ignore your evidence and even double down on what they think is true. Absolutely. But if you use questions to help them explore their own position and perhaps even on their own through your questions of discovering that they are mistaken on it if they're discovering that they're mistaken mm. it's far more effective than telling them that they are so lead them on a way so they make the conclusion that mm-hmm. you know what i'm wrong on this let them drive give them the st- get get out of the way give them the keys to the car metaphorically here mm-hmm. let them drive and then ask them why did you choose that way why didn't you go that way have you ever conser- considered going this other way ask them to explain to you how they're navigating their view Mm. And by going about it that way, that's when they started to discover, you know what? I I thought I was on the expressway here, but I've been on the bumpiest road ever. Hmm. Interesting.
2: It's a really nice way of thinking of it.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect way to actually explain it, I think.
1: Uh, you guys are going to love this. I've got this little cartoon here. This is <laughs> funny. I'm going to try to explain this little cartoon here. This guy walks up to the, the other guy. Says yeah, He says, I just read this article on CoolReagan.Fart that says Planned Parenthood eats onboard board fetuses. Mm-hmm. The other guy says, what? The guy says, Yeah, you know, to fuel their eternal youth and all. The guy says, Well, that can't be right, so let me do some research. So he's on his phone. And then he says, Yeah, see, sis right here that's a hoax. Planned Parenthood doesn't really do that. Now the first guy says, Oh, come on, dude, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. So he says, ha ha, you're so gullible, stick to reputable sources next time. And the guy, the the second guy comes behind him with a knife. (laughs) And the next picture, he's in jail, obviously, and he says, worth it, (laughs) totally worth it.
3: Oh, well. Yeah, it can be frustrating to engage with people who hold different views from us, whether it's about religion or politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people just roll their eyes and just nod and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just let that person go on their way. Uh, however, if you have the time and the interest and it's in line with your goals, if your goal is to help somebody, and if your goal is also to to believe true things, they may have a good reason for thinking that that's true, then I think we should try to make the time for the conversation. And a lot of people instinctively think, oh, when I if I talk about politics or religion with my loved ones or even a stranger, that it's going to get ugly. And that was one of the exciting Revelations about street epistemology Is that it could be friendly And productive On a sensitive topic Where do you ever see that yeah. And if you go to my YouTube channel The YouTube channel of other people who are having these Conversations about religion or other things Politics included mm-hmm. We are having Respectful Productive Conversations with folks Where they're really thinking about their view And even changing their mind if not on camera, they're later walking back up, having a second interview, and they're reporting that they're changing their minds or mm-hmm. that they've changed their mind. And and that's what's so exciting about this this approach is its versatility and its mm-hmm. the the humanity of it. Like what's more what's more human than than lovingly engaging with somebody on, on a on a claim about reality that might not be true, so they can stop believing it if it's not true, or I can start believing it if it is. What is more important than that? Yes,
1: yes.
2: And would you say that the goal here is not necessarily to change their mind, but just to, as we were talking about, explore why they believe that? Plant the
3: seed. That's a good question. The practitioner of the approach comes up with the goal. And e- even if they might adopt the goal of the, of the interviewee, so sometimes interviewees will say, hey, um, you know, we talked once before. I'd like to talk to you about this different topic. I'm actually getting ready to upload another video with two Muslim guys, the first time we talked was about marijuana. They came back up again and said, you picked the topic, Anthony, and with a little uh, warning, I suppose, we ended up settling on whether they thought God was real. So you can actually engage with a person about any different topic, but the goal is kind of up to the practitioner, and even as myself, sometimes my goal even changes during the conversation. Mm-hmm. so if it becomes apparent that somebody's thinking that something is true and it's probably not even though my, my initial goal may have been let's explore your reasons and your method it might become apparent to me like you know maybe with a little more questioning they might stop believing that this is true and if it's not true then I want to engage with them on that so you kind of have to be you kind of have to be careful when you build this tool of street epistemology and that's what it is mm-hmm. it's a tool that can be used to inspect the foundation mm-hmm. or completely raise the house break down and yeah. rebuild from from scratch so it's kind of up to um, to the participants as far as how they want to use this tool
1: now yeah. I, but before we go any further on that i i want to i want to take a few minutes to ask what your thoughts are because let's face it not everybody you talk to about street epistemology is ready for it. There are some people that, just like the cartoon I just read there, doesn't matter how much evidence or how much question you give them, these people are like 100% committed to their fallacy or their their stupid view. Um, How do you recognize that a person is just not worth the time, for lack of a better way of putting it?
3: That's a good question, too. Yeah, there are some people who are so dogmatic and dug in that they they revel in their Ignorance might be too strong of a word.
1: No, I don't think so
3: <laughs> Yeah,
1: they, they, they revel in their in, in their worldview for sure
3: they revel let's put it this way They revel in their certainty and yes. they're so sure that they're right that they're just smugly content in their position Yes, absolutely, and that's tough. It's very tough what I've, I've, I've been able to make some traction with folks like that where – and you're right. They they take more time. I, I might I might need 10 hours with a person like that as opposed to 10 minutes with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So what's the best use of my time? What's the best use of Anthony Magnabosco's time? Well, if I'm filming it and putting it up on, online where thousands can see it, it might actually be with a more dug-in person because then people can get some ideas on how to make progress with folks like that. One, one tip, I suppose, or things that I've done in the past, one thing that I've done in the past is we start talking about somebody else. So if I'm talking to an individual who's dug in, they're so sure that their God is real or that their party is correct, their political party. Yeah. I might talk about how, what advice would you have for getting through to somebody who is just as dug in as you are, but in the incorrect view, in the opposite position. And then I listen to that person. Rarely will somebody say, "Well, just leave them alone." That's fine. They will start giving ideas on how to break through to that person that you can then use to break through to the person that you're speaking with, because that person is giving you the pathway to get through to folks like that.
1: (laughs) Mm. So that's that's
3: one one thing to possibly try.
1: That's a very smart way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I I know I've personally had a lot of these conversations myself. uh, For a brief example. I would have, a, I don't know, something that happens on Trump, let's just say, the Trump and Stan or whatever, and, and then I would use a source like the CBC. The CBC, of course, in Canada, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, is a very reputable source, very reliable, uh, but it also leans left slightly, right? And they would use that to discredit. If, as soon as the source leans left, they would say, no, no, it's, it's, it's unreliable. But they said, then I would say, well, okay, so which reliable source do you think I should use? And then of course it did pop up with
3: something like Breitbart. I said, Well you've got to be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding. Well, you had me. a good you did have a good question there where you were saying, Well, what what is a what source would you recommend? Exactly, right. So that's good because now you can actually you can have a, a meta discussion about how you determine what's reliable what's a reliable source and what's not. So you're not even talking about the topic or the claim at this point. You're talking about standards. Yes. I actually got it while it wasn't political it might be a good example for people to look at it was with this guy named jacob where he's i think he's like a young earth creationist he thought he thinks the earth is young he thinks everything is created and is designed Mm. so this was a discussion about the standard that he's holding himself to to accept intelligent design and the standard he would require me to provide to justify to him that evolution was true i didn't give him one example we, we, the whole conversation was essentially about his standards.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So you can approach it that way. So rather than getting into, well, my, my source says this and your source says, says that, ask them, what is it about your sources that makes you think that they're more valid than these other sources? Exactly. And you yeah. can just start to have a discussion about that. Well, you quickly
1: realize when you have these kind of discussion. You ask that that particular question. You know, why do you feel Breitbart is a reliable source as compared to um, the CBC or any other you know valid source? Uh, You quickly realize that they don't really
3: have a reason. They just because it fits the narrative that they support. Well, they might. They might say, "Well, that those other sources are bought by big money." Yes. So rather than saying. Aha! But so is yours. You might say, "Oh, well, that's interesting." Uh, if if we were to discover that Breitbart and other sources were also funded by by big name donors or something like that, would that change your view on the quality of your standards and mm. the quality of your sources? Mm. And then, if they say, "Well, yes, it would," confirm that that's the case, and then investigate it with them to see if that those sources really are being funded by big money donors if they say no then there's other reasons why they're accepting those sources besides big money donors that's those
1: that's a very that's a very sound piece of advice i think i'll I'll have to use that because the the way i went in that conversation is when they when they presented breitbart and they present also youtube videos uh I, i i i what i did is i posted um media bias fact which is a site that essentially evaluates how accurate how factually accurate and where there's a, a, a media out of leans whether left or right and it's a, it's a very very good source for example if you, you just type in is Breitbart reliable media bias fact will come up and say i'll give you the lowdown and then you say okay well look according to media bias fact check uh, Breitbart is mixed, which is another word for saying you no, know, it's not, you know, it's not highly factual it's not factual, it's not even that, it's mixed in other words, sometimes they tell the truth and sometimes they don't
3: the discovery of that though is not generally going to cause a person to stop using that source.
1: No, because that's exactly what they said. They said that at that point it becomes a uh, infinite regression because they said, "Well, mediabiasfactcheck.com dot is not reliable." I said, "Well, how did right. you determine
3: that?" Right, right.
1: <laughs> and then this you realize it just fits their narrative. It's important to
3: let your interlocutor explain what standard they're using. Mm-hmm. How did you even mm-hmm. craft the standard? Take me back to take me back to when you might accept a completely different source. What was different between then and now? Mm. Let's say another another news source pops up next week. How will you decide whether you're going to believe it or not? Take me through your process. Yes. And with street epistemology, we're interested in process. We're interested in method. We're interested in, in epistemology. We're interested in how we can know the things that we know. Anthony, do you feel
1: that maybe people, um, I think a lot of us, suffer too much from the Dunning-Kruger effect? I mean, I, I that, that same guy that was still in that same conversation I had there was claiming that he didn't believe in evolution. And I said, well, how are you qualified to study evolution? He says, I'm not, but I can read the data just as anybody else. So it, 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 takes, it takes incredible confidence in yourself to think that you can read the data a biologist is... Given and actually interpret it, and this—that mm-hmm. was exactly his claim. It's a matter of interpretation of the data, and to think that Joe Schmo could be just as good as interpreting data as somebody who studied the field—that's amazing, Dunning Kruger. If you ask me, do you think that maybe maybe this is where we are as a people? We we think we know way more than we actually do.
3: Hmm. that does seem to be a common thread that I find in most humans that uh-huh. regardless of where you are on the god claim or pol- politically that yeah i think we tend to think we know more than we know and uh, yet yeah, we certainly have it seems more confidence in our views than we can justify that's that's been a big takeaway of going out and having these conversations I, i've talked with more than a thousand people many of them on camera and many of them are on my youtube channel and regardless of the age regardless of the topic. That's been a common theme of, you know, now that we talked for five or ten minutes, I'm starting to realize that I don't know as much about this topic as I thought that I did.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And this goes back to the, the earlier thing that we were talking about, humility. Coming to grips with the understanding that
2: mm-hmm.
3: I, I'm probably mistaken on a lot of things. And the loved ones in my life are probably mis- mistaken on a lot of things, too. How can we all work together to figure it out and get rid of as many untrue beliefs and keep as many true beliefs?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It it seems to me that we've come to a point where I think also one of the big problems we have in our society today is we seem to have um, this tendency to validate everybody's opinion as um, of equal value to maybe expertise. And I think there there, there lies a problem. You know, I, oh, I was having, yeah! I was having a yes. discussion last week. This is huge. I was having a this this discussion
3: is huge. Did you want to talk more about that?
1: Or? Oh, by all means, by all means. I, I, yeah. Like I said, I was having a discussion last week with, with three more, actually two more atheists. And I was saying, you know, our opinion is worth shit. Pardon my French here. But I mean, if I walk into a convention of chemists and I say, you know what? I don't agree with this whole H2O shit. <laughs> That doesn't mean nothing. No matter how certain I am of my opinion, I'm not qualified to even discuss the subject. But they were saying, no, 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 your opinion is important no matter what. And I thought, wow, this is really where we are as a society. We really think that the ignoramus out there, even though that has an opinion, weighs the same as expertise opinion.
3: Yeah, I noticed this a lot. This, uh, this, This even goes deeper to the point of relativism that hey, if I just think that it's true, I could make it true because I'm entitled to any opinion that I want. Mm-hmm. So there's a conflation between mm-hmm. preferences and opinions and facts and data. Yes. And this is a recurring theme that comes up so much now to the point where oftentimes, before I even get into exploring the topic, we'll take a little time at the start of the conversation or we'll we'll notice it and then address it mid conversation. We start talking about how... How uh, we start talking about the difference between fact and opinion, between yes and no, between true and false. And and we, we do this by a, a variety of different ways. One of the simplest ways is just to, we carry, I carry around a box of Tic Tacs and ask the person if they think that if we counted up the total number of pieces that it would they would either be even or odd, that it can't simultaneously be both. And most people are on board with that. Sometimes they're not. And we have to discuss that. And then I throw in the kicker. If somebody else were to walk by and say, well, I think that there's an odd number of total pieces in there. And we've counted them, and we know that there's an even number in there. But that person says, that's my truth. It's true for me. What would you say? And a lot of people will agree and say, well, that person is entitled to think it because it's their opinion. It's their view. And that's, that's I was mentioning it earlier. That's huge. You can't really go much further until you address that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they have bad breath, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, I jotted this down, too. Anecdotes are not data. Yes. Yeah, you, you've probably heard this phrase before. Just because you had a, a powerful moving experience, or even a bad experience when you went overseas, you had to go to a hospital, and it's a social system, and you had a I don't know, whatever, it was dirty, and you just didn't like the level of care. It still doesn't mean that that entire system is not the best for this particular country, for example. So we have to be really careful about the weight that we're giving our own personal views and opinions. Mm -hmm. We oftentimes equate them with facts, and that's dangerous.
1: Yes, that is extremely dangerous, and and, and I think it also feeds, uh, especially a very disturbing trend that you're seeing in the United States, and it's starting to come up here in Canada, which really, really disturbs me, is this wave of anti-intellectualism, because we seem to look at expert, experts with knowledge as the elite. So now we, we're pushing back against them, thinking, you know, that, oh, well, you know, you're, you're an elitist intellectual and you know all this stuff, but my opinion is worth just as much. And this, of course, is exactly what gave rise to uh, populism and mm. the likes of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, is exactly that. The rise that the dumbass Joe Schmoe uh, is worth just as much as an expert in the field.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it might even be worse in that we're not even allowing what we might consider a dumbass or something. Somebody that that doesn't think what we think is true. The opposing view, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. We often don't even give them a chance to express their view. We won't platform them. We'll try to deplatform them because we don't like what they say. Um, dis- disallowing discourse is, is really a threat to... To everything, it really is a threat to everything because if we're not giving people a chance to to explore their views, how on earth are we able to understand their view and perhaps help them change their view if they're basing it on a faulty, a faulty reason or a faulty epistemology? So, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: so it's it's really problematic. Um, Anthony, would you consider yourself? I'm not liking what I'm seeing as far as where discourse is going, and that's but that's what excites me about street epistemology, SE for short, is that if the person is willing to have a conversation with you, then you can use these questions and really explore a topic. But if you're being demonized for asking why you think that that's true and you're being labeled a bigot for asking a person or inviting somebody on your podcast because you happen to disagree with them, I'm going to unfollow you. I'm going to take away you. I'm not going to Patreon support you anymore. I don't like who you brought on. That's a real problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to push back just a bit here, Anthony. Uh, play devil's advocate for a minute, if you don't mind me. Um, would you consider yourself a um, free speech absolutist? Almost. You realize that you you want free speech unfeathered because we have different standards of free speech between our two countries.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think I do. I think I do. I, I I don't like the idea of silencing somebody just because we disagree with them. I mm-hmm. um, I, while I'm not crazy about, <laughs> I mean I, I abhor. Like white supremacists, if they wanted to march down the streets in my hometown, I I would support their right to do it. I really would, okay, okay, because those bad ideas need to be aired out. We need to see who's walking around with these these ideas. How many people are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. Is this a real problem or is this a fringe group?
1: Well, I I totally understand that and I respect that. Here in Canada, it's it's slightly different. Uh, Free speech has a limit here in Canada. The the limit is uh, you cannot entice uh, hatred or hate speech. So, for example, I I give the example that uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, tried to come up here to Canada to picket something years ago, and the mm-hmm. government stopped them at the border and said, no, you're not welcome in the country. And, you know, I th- personally, I think that our, our, our system is slightly better than you, than what you guys have down, down south, although I do encourage free speech. But at the same time, uh, let's do, deal with the, with the the problems they're having right now in universities and, you know, they're combating uh, speakers coming onto the campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I understand the idea of having free speech, And giving an opinion, but the problem is is most of the people that come onto these campuses are essentially giving a lecture. It's not a debate, it's a lecture. Which of course kind of gives them a position of power and authority. And I think this is what this is what the the, these students might be fighting because it's not the place where you they can actually properly debate the merits of their their hypothesis or theories. It's a place it's a place where they basically just spew the propaganda they have. And I kind of understand that, the, their point of view. Not I'm saying I'm completely agreeing with them, but I kind of understand that. Well What are your thoughts on this?
3: I don't really see it that way. No, I think people can go to a university and say, if the university invites them, if there's enough interest in what they're saying, they can they can be invited to speak. Or let's say that there's a group on campus that wants to bring this speaker in. I, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks that don't like that message can just, they can protest outside. They can sit quietly inside and listen. They might record it. And, yeah, they might be able to ask a question during the Q&A or maybe they don't get a chance to to express their views. I don't like the idea of being disruptive mm-hmm. to shutting down that speech. Mm-hmm. Let's say that, that speaker flies out that evening and then maybe the school holds a debate later on with the students that are remaining on the campus. I mean there, there's plenty of opportunities to get your voice out. Whether it's in person or through all the social media tools that we have out there, so
1: I think I think that's a very valid point. I think you're making a very good point there. Let's 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 push back again if you don't mind. Uh, what okay. what about uh, like a street preacher on the corner of a street? Now, of course, when you talk about a university campus, normally the students are old enough and understand uh, what's going on, and they can kind of make up their mind. They can weigh the evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, a street preacher on the corner could be addressing a five-year-old and scaring the bejesus, for lack of a better term, out of a five-year-old with his hate speech. Is that not up to society at some point to kind of protect that child too?
3: No. Nah. That child is no, not I, really – I completely support what the street preachers doing. Uh, there's. It's funny you say that because there's almost an exact vi- – uh, There's a there's a little video clip that I included in my talk to the American atheists in mm-hmm. 2018 – it's called Street Epistemology, A Turning Point for Atheism. It's the very first video clip where there's a street preacher yelling about hell, and there's kids around, and I chastise him. I was kind of showing, like, this is not the street epistemology way, but I was doing exactly what you were doing, what you're referring to, where a street preacher is saying something just stupid and, and um, insightful, perhaps even, maybe upsetting to kids. Mm-hmm. Insightful might be too strong uh certainly uh, upsetting to children pro- probably adults as well
1: yeah
3: and i yelled back at him what's the matter with you how dare you say this in front of the kids there's kids around here what's wrong with you so but if, if the police showed up to pull him into jail i would i would intervene and say i mean i i, I wouldn't like prevent the arrest or something but i would be like i, I wouldn't i would go to bat for the preacher that he has a right to say those things. We absolutely have a right to say it. I I disagree with it, and it could be upsetting to people, but I would fight for his right to say it.
0: Hmm.
1: Very interesting. Very
3: interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Fantastic.
1: Wow, perfect. Well, you know, in in conclusion, Anthony, uh, do you think street epistemology for the, 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 the practitioner or the beginning practitioner, they can maybe focus... Not just on atheism and versus theists, but they can use the same kind of tactics in a political
3: conversation. You feel that it's appropriate for us to use? I think, I think it is because I've used it on political topics. I'm maybe not as good at it in, in, in the political realm as I am with a supernatural claim. If you, if you want to talk about ghost karma, gods – we are you spirits, about, You're demons. fantastic, man. I know, I know you do, how you do. We music. will have a wonderful conversation, and 10 minutes later, you're going to be scratching your head wondering, why am I thinking that this is true? <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you want to talk about why you think the Republican Party is is the best party for the American country, I would probably struggle with that. But that's not to say that you can't still engage with them using this approach. I just may not be as good at it because I haven't really focused on it. So I'm hoping that there are people who are listening to this that might say, you know what? I have an interest in politics. I can be neutral. I can try to be as unbiased as possible mm-hmm. and engage with people using street epistemology, or maybe some other approach that we haven't even thought of yet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe
3: there's a there's a there's a there's a version of street epistemology that can be employed when using you know, when engaging with somebody on a political topic that we haven't thought of. So. Well, we need our bodies. We need people going out there and engaging with folks on social media and in person with our families and on strangers on the street and then sharing your findings with the street epistemology communities and there's there's communities on Facebook and Discord and Reddit. Look around. Search for street epistemology in your favorite platform. You're going to probably find people who are doing this and they want to learn it. They want to use it and and help us make this better. Perfect. Well, Anthony, thank you so
1: much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you, my friend. If people want to find out more about what you do and they want to find your
3: YouTube channel and all that, where can they find it? Oh, man. Kevin and Kristen, thank you so much for having me on. I love being on your show. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It Aww. really is. Uh, yeah,
1: I'll, I'll send you that, it, I'll send you that $50 so as
3: agreed. And I love you. you know, I'm so grateful that you gave me a platform. Thank you for giving me a platform uh, to talk about this and, and reach people who might be interested in, in trying to have more fruitful conversations with people that we – that we uh that we love the mm-hmm. people in our lives perhaps even. so yes you can find me on twitter or facebook i also have a youtube channel you just search for my name anthony Mac bosco on any of those platforms i've been uploading a lot of good content recently to my youtube channel and i'm on the verge of releasing two really good talks with the same woman
1: nice and
3: it's phenomenal so if, if you are at all interested in what we're talking about here look at video examples where people are doing this get involved in the communities and 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 support the organization that we're forming to make this better
1: yes and there's also this fab- fabulous little Facebook group uh, where you're part of uh, called uh, Street Epistemologist where, where is it I forget the name of the group again Street Epistemologist
3: Street Epistemologist Study Group there's a look yes there, that's there's... it I think we have four groups on Facebook for a variety wow. of things. Yes, uh,
1: so l- look them up on Facebook, look them up on YouTube. Anthony, thank you so much for, for being with us today. But before I let you go, I to have you say hi, this is Anthony Magnabasco,
3: and I took a left at the valley. Hi, this is Anthony Magnabasco, and I took a left at the valley.
1: And that was Anthony Magnabasco, the one, the only, the amazing, the man, the myth, the legend. It's <laughs> a fantastic conversation. He is. He absolutely is, and I love talking to Anthony because he's he's so down to earth and to the point, and you know, you just have a great time with him. Mm-hmm. It's uh, his his advice and his experience is absolutely amazing and incalculable. And if you really want to see the master at work, you look up his videos, his YouTube videos, and you will see Anthony at his best. You know, some 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 people, you know, they have all kinds of people. And uh, you talk to them, and some people are all, all heads with him right away, and most of them, actually, he, he's kind of soft-spoken, right? So mm-hmm. they can they kind of warm up to him. And eventually, you know, they, they have, a, like you said, a very civil conversation, and this is how you plant the seed yeah. in their
2: mind. And I think the big thing with the street epistemology isn't you're not going and pointing, here's the facts, this is what the truth is. Yes, You're asking questions, and, you know, why do you believe this? Or kind of... I, I'm gonna
1: be I'm gonna be a bit uh, politically incorrect here, but you no, know, I think the reason why a lot of us don't do street epistemology when we should, yes, is we're not necessarily smart enough to do it. It requires a certain level of intelligence to guide somebody through questions for themselves to conclude. That they might be incorrect about something. Yeah. It's much easier to say, fuck you, you're wrong, here's why. Yeah. It's a lot easier to do that.
2: Yeah, it is.
1: To take the street, uh, to usually use Anthony's approach and Peter Boghossian's approach and all that kind of, the, these people's approach of street epistemology takes patience, intelligence, and you have to be almost like one step ahead of them. And you have to be quick on your feet, and that's a lot for, for people in a conversation. Uh, yeah it definitely is so listen to the master and you guys follow up his advice and you'll just become a better interlocutor as a whole
2: perfect sounds good sounds perfect
1: well, thank you so much, my dear Kirsten, for being with me today and making sure that we don't have a show where it's just me because that would have been horrible <laughs> as hell. And thank you so much, Anthony Magnabasco, and thank you for listening. You can follow us at leftvalley.com, You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at letv Podcast. You can uh, send us an email at uh, com. Uh, Give us a five-star review where you find us. It helps us and helps others find the show. If you want to support us, you can be like one of our friends, Freaker215, and you can go on Patreon slash Letv. Okay, next. Coming up next week, our favorite nuclear physicist, Dr. Ben Davis returns. (laughs) He's going to talk to us about the difference between physics and quantum physics. And then after that, we'll have Andrew Jasko and Rex uh, Burks. Uh, We'll be talking about cults. And we'll also have Hertzie Hertz of the Minnesota Atheist. She'll be talking to us about uh, everything that goes on in her life. And we'll also have Lilith Starr, the Satanist. She'll be talking about her book that she wrote. And then in July, we'll have our uh, we'll probably have our uh, our show for Canada Day, obviously. And we'll have the Ginger Snaps with Amy Cool. That'll be coming as well. So we're mm. gonna get lots of things coming down the pipe already.
2: You've always got lots of things going All on. Right.
1: Perfect. Anything else I need to know? Everything good?
2: Uh, go read time shards? <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> go read time shards. From the episode last week. Best nice recall. I appreciate that. <laughs> Alright, thank you so much, dear. I'll until next time. Should really give up on trumpet standards. I good think I got done. my work cut
3: out <laughs> for me here in the United States and Texas, so I really have no plans on leaving oh, anytime
1: soon. You poor soul.
2: We need to just have invite a whole bunch of people and have a great big party.
3: Yeah, I would love to visit though. Oh yeah, i would love to have you. Maybe in the summer, preferably.
2: (laughs) Yes. Our summers are very humid, and depending on where you are, there's a lot of mosquitoes. No, but what are you talking about? Depending on where you are. Where I used to work? No, not here. Mosquito galore, where I work now? No. No, no, what are you talking about,
1: mosquito galore? Have you ever been to Winnipeg? No. No. Yeah, that's that's Mosquito City. Hmm. If you have a five-year-old that's not tethered down a mosquito, mosquitoes just take it and fly away with it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's... That's a great visual
0: <laughs>
1: All right, let's get this done.
0: I find it disgraceful the thousands <laughs> of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free. And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush. Don't want to affect business, he loves money too much. He knows that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we Teaching them to respect them, back them Fuck that The system is broken down Working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec Don't mean it sounds so hateful But I swear to God unintended. intended I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet and not believe